Please turn in your Bible to Mark 12, 29, 31. Jesus answered, here is the most important one. Moses said, Israel, listen to me. The Lord is our God. The Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Love him with all your mind and all your strength. And here is the second one. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. There is no commandment more important than these. <laughs> 
Good morning again, church. Thank you, Julie, for playing for us. And thank you, Amy, for that wonderful special music. And thank you, Eli, for our scripture reading this morning. Bow your heads with me, uh, please. We'll just have a quick word of prayer before we get started. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this beautiful Sabbath day. And thank you again um, for the chance that we have to be together here this morning. And just ask that as we go into our message portion of our service this morning, that your spirit would be here with each one of us, that it would be with me to give me the words to speak, and it would be with each of the listeners to give them the ears to hear, that they would hear a a message that they need this morning um, that would touch their hearts and draw them closer to you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's been quite a while since I've spoken on relationships. Um... But as I said last time, when I spoke just a couple weeks ago, a couple of different thoughts going around in my head. One, it was really cool last week that pastor spoke about, for our communion service, spoke about the Good Samaritan. This just kind of ties into that or expands on it, so they fit really nicely together. So that's that's always nice to see those things happen, even when they're not planned. Um, And I always enjoy it when our special musics tie in so well to the message. Forgiveness is obviously a huge part of relationships, is it not? <laughs> if we can't forgive those who we're with um, the most, um, the people that we know and the people that we love, our relationships aren't going to last very long. We're going to be in, in a, bad, a bad state. I don't know if interpersonal relationships are often thought of as a Bible topic, but they certainly are. There's tons of advice in the Bible about dealing with people and um, it makes up a large part of the teachings of Jesus. If you look at the, the teachings of Jesus and the apostles, um, as well as when you look in Proverbs, there's tons of stuff in Proverbs about interpersonal relationships or relationships with people, dealing with parents, with children, spouses, family, friends, coworkers, and even our enemies. The Bible's advice is spiritually sound, and it is effective for promoting both peace and harmony. The greatest commandment of all the New Testament teachings on interpersonal relations follow from Jesus' commandment that we just heard Eli read. The first is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Now we can think about that and think we should just love him a lot, right? But think of all the different things that's touching on. We should love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. So we think about the different kinds of ways we can express love, and it talks about them here. With all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. So by doing work, are we showing our love for Christ? When we use our strength, are we showing our love for Christ? It's not just just a heart thing. They all kind of tie together. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Now, the English word for love has many different meanings, but this Christian love of the Bible comes from the Greek word agape, which means goodwill and benevolent concern for the one loved. It is deliberate and purposeful love rather than emotional or impulsive love. The King James Version of the Bible often uses the word charity instead of love, um, or charity for this kind of love. 
This was hardly a new concept for the people Jesus was talking to in the scripture verse that we read. Back, way back in Leviticus 19.18, it says, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Love your neighbor was not a new commandment, but the people of Jesus' time had developed a rather narrow view of who should be considered their neighbor. And we talked about that just last week in the parable of the Good Samaritan. Jesus corrected that view and the teachings and teaches us that a neighbor is anyone we come in contact with. In this parable, it wasn't the believers that stopped to help Jesus to, to help, it was the Samaritan. The Christian believers were all too full of conceit to lower themselves to stop and help the lowly Samaritan. So what does the Bible tell us about the dangers of self-righteousness or arrogance or being smug? Well, it tells us first, no one is perfect. None of us. We're all sinners, right? John 1 John 1 8 says, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Now, if we treat people we consider to be sinners with scorn, or we think we are better than they are, we are guilty of the sin of self-righteousness. Luke 18, 9 through 14 says, Then Jesus told this story to some who had great self-confidence and scorned everyone else. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a dishonest tax collector. So one was basically like a teacher of the church, and the other is this dishonest tax collector, otherwise, you know, other, otherwise referred to at times as a thief, right? They're incorrectly collecting. We look at the parable or the story of Zacchaeus, not the parable, the story of Zacchaeus, and he was collecting too much money. What was he doing with the extra he collected? Kept it, right? He was being a thief. He was stealing. So think about that guy in the, in the sanctuary and the Pharisee in the sanctuary. They both went there. Which one would we look at with more respect? The Pharisee, right? The proud Pharisee stood by himself and he prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not a sinner like everyone else. Especially like the tax collector over there. And, and I believe in this parable, or when Jesus is telling the story, he wasn't saying this quietly, right? The way Jesus is telling the story, I, I have to picture the Pharisee being going, Lord, he's standing in the middle, Lord, I thank you so much that I am not a sinner like that guy over there. He's, he's shouting it out. He's not being quiet about it. For I never cheat. I don't sin. I don't commit adultery. I fasted twice last week. And I give you a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I tell you this, sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For the proud will be humble. Humbled, but the humble will be honored. See, the sad thing is that we can profess to be Christians, but do our actions speak louder than our words and betray us? We can be so filled with pride that we become blind to what's really in front of us. We can get so focused on self that we can come here, even to church, and completely miss the blessing that God intended for us. 
Even the leaders of the church, myself included, can fall into this very trap. Any of us here can become so wrapped up in being a Christian that we completely miss the blessing that is there for us in the process and make complete fools of ourselves all the while thinking we are great. 1 Corinthians 13, 1-7 tells us this. It says, If I speak in the tongues of mortals and angels but do not have love, I am just a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. You guys ever heard a cymbal crash? Yeah, they make a lot of noise, don't they? Somebody hits a gong. You hear those things. Now, in the midst of a, a song or a symphony, they sound nice, right? But what are they otherwise? If you just, somebody's just walking around banging some cymbals and there's no music or nothing accompanying it. It's just noise. Often irritating noise. <laughs> right? Just noise. I am just a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers, if I have prophetic powers... And I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love. I am nothing. We read about that in in the scriptures, right? There was times that people were going around healing people, and yet we're told that they were not doing it in Christ's name. They were not looked at. They were not doing it correct, not, not, they didn't have a relationship with Christ, right? And how deceitful can that be to the people they're helping, right? The people they're helping are, are helped, they're healed. But yet, it was done in a way that wasn't um, out of love. I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions, if I hand over my body so that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. Love does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. Parents, when was the last time you got irritable with your kids? Mercy on me. I, I can raise my hand for that one. Oh, I can get irritable. Um, and why is, it, why is it that it's so easy to do it with those that we love the most? Those we love the most, it's the easiest to treat the worst, it seems like. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in truth. Love bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things and endures all things. So it's possible to have or do all these things, but to be self-focused, to be filled with pride. And rather than doing them out of a heart filled with love, in essence, if you were doing them out of pride or out of self-focus, the Bible tells us that it's empty. It's nothing. A simple way to summarize this message is 1 Corinthians 16, 14, that says, let all that you do be done in love. So what the Pharisee was doing in the story, what was the Pharisee doing in the story Jesus told? He was judging, right? 
He was standing there proclaiming that he was so good and judging his neighbor who he felt wasn't as good. What does the Bible tell us about judging or condemning or criticizing others? Self-righteousness is one of the hardest sins to avoid because it is so much easier to see the faults of the people around us than it is to see ours. But the judgment of a person's character must be left to God. Look at Romans 2, 1 through 4. In Romans 2, 1 through 4, it tells us, Therefore, you have no excuse, whoever you are, when you judge others. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn who? You condemn yourself. Because you, the judge, are doing the very same things. You say, we know that God's judgment, we know that God's judgment on those who do such things is in accordance with truth. Do you imagine, whoever you are, that when you judge those who do such things and yet you do them yourself, you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience? Do you not realize that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? So rather than look at the faults of others, we should look for the good in others and try and correct the faults in ourselves. Um, I've, I've mentioned it frequently when I speak on, this, on these types of subjects, but Amy Grant has a fantastic song um, that I just love. It's called You'll Find What You're Looking For. I don't know if you've ever heard it. If you haven't, go Google it and look it up and listen to it. The, the lyrics are fantastic. She's singing about what would you find if you uncovered all of my past? Think about that in your own context, right? I think about it in my context. Think about it in your own context. If each one of us here could look at anybody else and see everything they had done in their past, what would you find? Would you find the good things that they had done? Or would you find the bad things that they had done? You can find either one because they exist for all of us. We all have bad things in our past that we've done. And we all have very good things in our past that we've done. Right? And so whether we're looking at the past or we're looking at the current or the future, if we're looking at somebody and we're looking for the bad, we'll find it. If if you're expecting that out of somebody, you're looking for that out of somebody in the relationship that you have with them, you'll find it. You can find flaws. We've all got them. If you're looking for the good in that person, what will you find? You'll find the good. You'll see or notice the good things that they do. It's a matter of what you're looking for in that relationship. So rather than criticizing other people, we should concentrate on living holy lives ourselves, right? Jesus' comical parable of the person with the log in his eye, you know, this isn't a log, it's just a pen, but imagine this is stuck in my eye, and I'm sitting here trying to get a little speck of dust out of my brother's eye. Well, it's Not only impairing this eye, it's impairing the vision from this eye. I can't see anything. How am I going to take a little speck of dust out of Carl's eye if I'm sitting here with this in my eye? And he wasn't even talking about it. I mean, this is a pen. He's talking about a log. (laughs) How how are you going to take the not take the plank out of your own eye and you can get the speck of dust out of, you know? That was definitely a carpenter reference, wasn't he? He's talking about the plank in the eye. You think about you're cutting cutting carpentry, cutting uh, wood, and you get dust. So you get a little speck of that cut dust in, in your, your neighbor's eye and you're walking around with a plank stuck in yours and you're trying to get the, the speck of dust out of his. 
Doesn't work very well. See, it just reminds us that we have bigger faults within ourselves. So this doesn't mean that all sin should be ignored. I'm not saying that, that you shouldn't notice or try to, to fix a situation that you see that's incorrect. I'm just saying we have to go about it in the right way. We have to have humility in us to recognize that we have faults too. And if we approach situations with people we have relationships with, with humility, it's going to go a lot better than if we walk up and go, you're doing this wrong. Christians should help each other recognize and overcome sinful actions and attitudes. But listen, because this is important. It has to be done in a sincere spirit of love. And it better be done with a lot of prayer and a lot of self-reflection. Because if it's not, it's very easy for those types of situations to take the wrong turn. You have, to, you have to not be approaching with the intention to punish or embarrass or disparage. Jesus tells us in Matthew 18.5, he says, If another member of the church sins against you, go and point out that fault when the two of you are alone. If the member listens to you, you have regained that friend. It's an attitude of humility is key to dealing with other people in a biblical way. Humility or humbleness is a quality of being courteous, respectful of others, and is the opposite of aggressiveness or arrogance, boastfulness or exaggerated pride. Humility is the quality that lets us get more than halfway to meet the other's need, the needs of others. Why do such quality, why do qualities such as courtesy and patience and deference have such a prominent place in the Bible? It's because the demeanor of humility is exactly what is needed to live in peace and harmony with all persons. Acting in humility does not in any way deny your own self or your own self-worth. Rather, it affirms the inherent worth of all persons. The bottom line with all of what I'm saying here is just treat others the way that you would want to be treated. Who can tell me what Luke 6.31 says without looking it up? Anybody? What? Yep, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. It's a golden rule. Spoken by Jesus, it is possibly the best known quote from the Bible. And it's the standard that Jesus set for dealing with other people. He said, if we wish to be loved, we must give love. If we wish to be respected, we must respect all persons, even those we dislike. If we wish to be forgiven, we must also forgive. If we wish others to speak kindly of us, we must speak kindly of them and avoid gossip. If we want happy marriages, we must be faithful and forgiving and kind to our spouses. If we would be fulfilled in our lives, we must share generously with others. Now, I know you might be saying, that all sounds nice, Rick. But don't you know this, how this other person treats me? I mean, they've done X and Y and Z just the other day, right? Just the other day they did this. And it makes me so angry. So what does the Bible tell us about being angry with others and our relationships with them? 
Matthew 5, 21 and 22 says, Under the laws of Moses, this is Jesus talking, he's quoting Moses here. Under the laws of Moses, the rule was, if you murder, you must die. But I have added to that rule, and I tell you that if you are only angry, even in your own home, not out in public, you're just angry in your own home, you are in danger of judgment. If you call your friend an idiot, kids, all you kids who are up here for the children's story, you all listening? You ever call your, your brother or your sister an idiot? Or dumb or stupid? <laughs> Pick your word. If you call your friend an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse him, you are in danger of the fires of hell. No one makes us angry. Let me say that again. No one makes us angry. I can't make you angry. You have a choice. Anger is our own emotional response to some action or event. Now you can do something and it might offend me and I can choose to be angry. Right? But it's still my choice to let myself become angry. More often than not, our angry feelings are based on a misinterpretation of what someone said or did. Don't get me wrong. There are times that people do something that genuinely is wrong. It's just wrong, right? We've seen examples of that. We all have examples of that in our lives. Somebody did something. But often, something somebody does, either because of other things that have happened in the relationship up to that point, and so we're more looking for that thing. Remember, you'll find what you're looking for. You're looking for them to do something wrong. A, f- a funny example or, or things that we talk about, like with, with married people, right? You and your spouse. Somebody leaves the, tube, the, to- the top off the toothpaste tube, right? Simple thing to just take that and screw it back on, right? So the first time it happens... Take it and just screw it back on. I wish they'd remember to do that. The next time it happens, why do they leave that top off the toothpaste tube? After like a month, oh, I really wish they would put that top back on the toothpaste tube. And one day, honey, why don't you ever put the top back on the toothpaste tube? Right? I think we probably, I hear some chuckles. That's because we all, whether it's that specific example or not, we all have specific examples of something so little like that that just irritates you. There's two things I would say about that. One, obviously we need to try to not let it irritate us, right? If we can. But two, it, well, you get your, get your own toothpaste. Yes, you could do that. That might be a resolution. If, if the other person won't leave the top on the toothpaste tube and you don't like it a little dried out like that, it might be a solution. Get your own tube. That's better than fighting. But often, we won't even say anything, right? Sometimes we will. Sometimes we will we'll ask, honey, could you put the, the top on the toothpaste? Please try to remember to put the top on the toothpaste tube. And we might say that again and again and again, and maybe it doesn't have any effect. And then we blow up. So, yes, a better solution in that case is get your own tube. But sometimes we just won't say anything. We just assume the other person should know that we're irritated about this. And so 
We get so bent out of shape and angry, but we never even said anything to the other person. Well, how do they know? I mean, should they know to put the top back on the toothpaste tube? Yeah, they should. I'll, I'll grant you that. They should know to do that. Um, but we just get this, this exaggerated sense of, of self or pride, and we get so angry over something so simple. And then our angry words or actions escalate the hostilities. They block our communication rather than allowing us to communicate. And it's, whether it's between a, a, a spouses like we were just talking about or children and parents, between siblings, between friends, or nations, expressions of our anger divide us and drive us to open hostility rather than reconciling us. It's all too easy to react to life's annoyances and disappointments with anger. But it's far more challenging, but much better, to react with understanding and empathy. In this way, we can quickly settle disputes and avoid turning minor incidents into major battles. James 1, 19 and 20 tells us, You must understand this, my beloved. Let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For your anger does not produce God's righteousness. Holding a grudge can consume us with hatred, blocking out all enjoyment of life. You ever hold a grudge against somebody? You know the funny thing is? Most of the time when you're holding that grudge against somebody, they don't even know about it. (laughs) They're not even aware of it. They're just living their life blissful and happy. And you're walking around, what did they do to me? It just consumes you. And it might lead us to an act of revenge that can't be undone. The Old Testament law specifies equal revenge for equal wrong, right? This person wronged you, you do something back to them to wrong them. An eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth. Now, I will say, in context, the way that law was carried out was if somebody did something to harm someone, then in court, something was done to them to to provide the eye for the eye or the tooth for the tooth. That was the way it was supposed to work in the society. That was the the ruling for them. But that rule was too harsh for the new age of the kingdom of God. Jesus said the right thing to do is to take no revenge at all. Matthew 5, 38 and 42 says, You have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. Come here, Carl, I want to slap you. <laughs> Can you think about that? Friend, you're, you're, whether it's a friend or an enemy, somebody, you're with somebody, they slap you. Ooh. What does it say to do? Turn the other cheek. Do you think you could do that? Mm. I don't know, man. I think, I think I'd have a hard time. I think I'd have a hard time. Turn the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, give them your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go a mile with them, go a second mile. Go two. So in essence, avoid anger and hostility towards others. To avoid anger and hostility towards others, we're going to need a whole great big bucket of forgiveness. 
See, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. Tells us that in Matthew 6, 14 and 15. We should always be willing to forgive others and not hold any ill will against them. Holding a grudge and seeking revenge have no place, no place in the lives of those who truly love their neighbors. Jesus calls us to remember that we are all God's children. Just as he loves all his people and is willing to forgive their sins, we should be willing to forgive also. Matthew 12, 35-37 says, A good person produces good words from a good heart, and an evil person produces evil words from an evil heart. And I tell you this, that you must give an account on judgment day of every idle word you speak. The words you say now reflect your fate then. Either you will be justified for them or you will be condemned. See, the words we say can have, say or write, can have tremendous power for good or evil. I almost missed saying right there, but it's important. You think about in our context of our world today, we have social media, right? Everybody's got Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, and I don't know what the latest ones are. I know there's more. Snapchat, something. <laughs> um, it feels it feels bad, you know. I used to be right on top of all the technology stuff, and now I like some. I think I gave up about five or ten years ago, and now I'm like, boy, I'm, I'm going to be the old guy who has no clue. <laughs> um, but what we write is just as important as what we say. They're both words that are coming out of us, and it's so easy on a social media platform. Somebody, a lot of times, people you haven't even met, you don't even know. But we'll do it to the people we know, too, because, hey, you're, somebody says something, and you're like, that's not right. And we're a keyboard warrior. That's what we like to, to call them, keyboard warriors. You're behind your keyboard, and you're angry, you're texting back or writing back. Got to send that message back and let them know that they're not right. We're going to do a fight on, online, in many cases, with somebody we don't even know, we've never even met. It's really easy to do that. What we do, even in those contexts, we have a tremendous power for good or evil. Words can promote love or understanding, or they can inflame prejudice and hatred. It is words that make or break marriages and relationships. Words can make peace or war. Our words should always sow a spirit of Christian love. What did Mama say? If you can't say something nice... Don't say anything at all, right? What about lying? A lie is any false statement made with the intent to deceive someone. We must always be honest in our dealings with other people. The Bible strongly contempts any attempt to deceive with the intent to hurt someone or gain an unfair advantage. We should not, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. That's from the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20, 16. Those who desire life and desire to see good days, let them keep their tongues from evil and their lips from speaking deceit. 1 Peter 3, verse 10. See, gossip or slander is an act of hostility intended to harm someone's reputation. 
And we must avoid the temptation to misrepresent someone's character or actions. An evil man sows strife, and gossip separates his be- the best of friends. That's from Proverbs 16.28. Proverbs 26.18-22 tells us, Like a madman, a maniac, like a maniac who throws firebrands and arrows in death, is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, I was only kidding. I was only joking. Where there is no wood, the fire goes out. And where there is no talebearer, whisperer in parentheses, strife ceases. See, those words, they have such power. Those words are the charcoal in the grill. There's no charcoal, we got no fire. As, <laughs> verse 21, as charcoal is to burning coals and wood to fire, so is the contentious or quarrelsome man to kindle strife. The words of a talebearer, again, whisperer in parentheses, are like tasty trifles, and they go down to the inmost body. So let me just say this in closing today. The bottom line here is that how we treat each other is huge. Our actions, our words, are reflections of what's truly in our hearts. If we want to have, a vibrant, to have vibrant relationships and a vibrant church, then we have to treat each other as Jesus would treat us. And if we are, gonna, <clears throat> if we are going to do that, we have to have a true relationship with him. See, he can change or fill our sinful hearts with his love so that we can pour out his love to those we come in contact with. One of my favorite sayings, I, qu- I think I've quoted it here multiple times. Um, I believe it was, it's attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. Preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words. Our actions and our words. Our actions. You underestimate the power that your actions have in reflecting your true character. People notice. People notice what you do. You can. How, how is it with your kids, right? We have. We all have bad habits, right? One of my bad habits is I don't pick up after myself well. Been a bad habit my whole life. We have this, I have this bad habit, right? I can tell my kids to keep their rooms clean all day long if mine's a mess. What message is that sending? It doesn't matter how many times I say clean your room. If my room is not clean, what do they think? Our actions have massive power. And so do our words. So we have to have a true relationship with Christ so that he can change our sinful hearts, so that his love can pour out through us to all we come in contact with. And Colossians 3, 8 and 10 says, But now you must get rid of such things, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, 
seeing that you have stripped off the old self and its practices and have closed yourselves with the new self, which is being renewed in, the knowledge, in knowledge according to the image of its creator. In summary, I just want to leave you one, one last verse. Just a little different um, version of our scripture from Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven and 40. And he, this being Jesus, said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang the law and the prophets. Everything else is built off of those two things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this Sabbath day. We thank you for um, just the blessing that we have of being able to have relationships with so many people around us. But, Father, in those relationships, it is so easy for us to get offended, to get frustrated. So easy for us to say an unkind word or do an unkind thing as a default response. Father, I just pray this morning for each person here, whether it be in our relationships with each other here at church, whether it's in our relationships that we have in our families at home between a husband and a wife, between a parent and a child, or maybe it's in between, it's our, our relationships that we have at work with coworkers or, or friends um, just around town or, or things of that nature. In all those things, Father, I just pray that you would give us love in our hearts, your love in our hearts, that when we feel the urge to say an unkind word, when we want to snap back with a smart, smart aleck response or, or anything like that, that your love would come out, that we could say a kind or soft answer and turn away wrath, that we could repair a relationship rather than tear it down. As we go out um, this, this week, Father, just ask that you would be with us, that you would help us in each person that we come in contact with to be able to be a representative of you in the, our actions and in our words. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.